friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is Monday, March 18th. This is episode 29 of the MC Lars podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for your great comments about last week's episode with MC Hawking. This week, I got my friend Sean Donnelly. Now, Sean directed a few videos for me, uh, most notably Flow Like Poe and Ahab, which I think are two of my best videos. And uh, we're going to end the podcast today with Flow Like Poe in honor of Sean doing the awesome video for that. But another great thing about Sean is he's worked, he's done documentary work. He's he's had a TV show. He did a show, a movie called I Think We're Alone Now, which is about two stalkers who are obsessed with the pop star Tiffany. And it's very weird, funny, great documentary. But he had a TV show on Comedy Central called Jeff and Some Aliens. And it's amazing. And it's 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 disappointing that it only had one season because it got great reviews. The acting, the art, everything about it is awesome. If you haven't seen Jeff and Some Aliens, it's 20 bucks and you can get the whole season on on iTunes and uh, it's it's great. So Sean and I talked about what it was like working on a TV show, what it was like, you know, making that transition, what he's up to now, the creative freedom he's found after the project and, you know, his opinions on art in life. And Sean and I actually went to high school together. I've known this guy like 20 years and he's always been, you know, someone I, he's a year older than me. I think we're like the same age, but he was in the year above me. And I always looked up to him as like kind of a, I'm not going to say rival, but someone at school whose creativity and like energy inspire me to do my best and be my best. And he still does. So it's kind of cool. We reminisce about high school and it's it was fun talking to him. So be sure to follow him on Twitter, Dirty Sean with a U. And he, he does art on drawings a lot. And uh, yeah, so this is my interview with Sean Donnelly. Before we jump into that, of course, I want to shout out Patreon supporters. Shout out to Amber, Emma, and Alex, the new Patreon supporters. Thank you all very much. And I want to give a shout out to some of the older supporters. Of course, Barbara, my mother-in-law. Andrew and Thomas, thank you all very much for supporting the podcast and the uh, Patreon. Patreon helps me do the podcast. You know, it lets me put time into this. And so, of course, you'll get a shout out if you sign up. I'm doing my Infinite Jest wraps. I've got a few more. So uh, one's coming out this week, the next week. This Thursday, I'm playing a show in Lexington, Kentucky with MC Chris and Bitforce, I think. So nerdcoretour.com for tour dates. I'm going on tour. Oh, no, Sorry. With MC Chris and Bit Brigade. Tomorrow, I'm playing a show with Schaefer the Dark Lord in Brooklyn. It's part of the Longmont Potion Castle movie premiere after party event. And for those of you who don't know, Longmont Potion Castle is like a very funny, creative prank caller who does like sound art with his prank calls and plays metal. And Rain Wilson from The Office was the executive producer on this documentary about this dude. So Schaefer and I are huge fans. And so we're playing the after party in New York tomorrow. Then I'm going on tour. I'm going to England with Cuckoo Kangaroo, Megaran, and we're joined by a Newcastle band ruled by Raptors. NerdcoreTour.com for dates, but let me break it down. It starts March 30th in, in Southampton. Then we go to Bristol, Birmingham, Leicester, Leeds, Stockport, Newcastle, Glasgow, Huddersfield, Nottingham, London. Then a few weeks after that, I go to the U.S. tour with Frontalot, Megaran Schaefer, The Dark Lord. We do Fargo, Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Chicago, Pontiac, Lakewood, Rochester, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Nashville, Birmingham. Birmingham. We're in Birmingham, England, then Birmingham, Alabama in, within a short time period. That's crazy. Charlotte, Atlanta, Gainesville, West Palm Beach. And then we end the tour May 16th 
in Orlando. And then that's all the touring I have for now. Um, the Mega Ran album is coming out in June. We premiered the Watchmen single Friday. This Friday, last Friday, we premiered the Watchmen single. This Friday, we are premiering the Julius Caesar song with Dan Bull, who's an amazing YouTuber, gamer, rapper guy who I'm interviewing for my podcast in England. And um, yeah, the uh, the songs about Julius Caesar and my first line is friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears and I'll speak to them. And that's why I start the podcast with friends, Romans, countrymen, let me your ears. Okay, so let's get into it. This is my interview with Sean Donnelly, the amazing artist and friend. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> You know how podcasts always start? They'll be like, oh, we already recorded? Oh, yeah. I just started recording. <laughs> I know, but the, that's how the real podcast do is like when you're giving me water and stuff, you're like, just so you know, I'm secretly recording all of this for the real podcast. I got cameras in here. I don't. <laughs> you remember when Kanye, when Obama said that Kanye was a jackass because he didn't know he was being recorded? <laughs> I don't remember that. Kanye didn't like that. That's why he said, I'm the abomination of Obama's nation. Wow. I don't mind. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very cool episode of the MC Lars podcast. This, today, I have a friend I've known, like, have I, Sean, I've known you since the 90s? I think it's the 90s, yeah. I met you in, what What year did you start high school? Uh, well, I started, I think, the year before you, right? Yeah. So, probably 1996. So, I would have met you in 1997. That's 21 years. Man. A friendship. That's right. Our friendship can officially drink today. <laughs> <laughs> and our friendship can officially look back and say, wow, look what we did. Look what we created. Sean has always been, you know, growing up, there are people who always motivate you to be your best and motivate you to, to really take your creativity seriously. And I always looked up to you, even though I think we're the same age, basically, I guess those grades are powerful me mental setbacks. <laughs> powerful like like blocks between us. And you were always, you won like the Star Artist Award at the end of high school from Miss Rumba. And I always was like, if Sean can do it, I got to do it just as good. You made a cartoon for your AP art project. I made a cartoon for my AP art project. And um, yeah, we've been collaborating since we were teenagers. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Thanks, Andrew. That, that means a lot. I feel like... Uh feel like a, a, a proud guy sitting here looking at who you've become. I feel like, you know, the people, the listeners of your podcast are obviously MC Lars fans, right? So I feel like they probably want to know, you know, about about the old, the old, you know, B-sides of MC Lars. What was he like before the MC Lars you see touring around? And the truth is pretty much the same. <laughs> but I think that's pretty cool. I mean... I think a lot of people, right, they like are in high school and they don't quite know who they are. And they're like, maybe I'll try to be a bad kid for a while. Or yeah. Maybe I'll just go bully this kid or like, I'll just do what everyone's doing. And then maybe later they're like, OK, guess what? I'm a scientist or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. I wasn't really that guy. You know what I mean? But I feel like you were always like somehow you were never trying to like be something you weren't. You were just like, I'm MC Lars, straight out the <laughs> womb, basically. <laughs> and just like it seemed like, you know, you didn't mind hanging out, doing nerdy stuff in high school, you weren't trying to like be somebody you weren't, which I think is really rare. A lot of people get to that place eventually. 
but yeah, not that many people are like that when they're kids. I think you know. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, so I think that was always cool to see that you're always been about joyful smiles and CPs <laughs> <laughs> and doing like uh, I always felt like you and your crew were a little more edgy, a little more badass because you lived on campus, so you got away with more in high school than me, maybe. Did you live on campus? I did live on campus. Yeah. I feel like it was, yeah, it's kind of like being in prison or something. So, you know, you basically are like, what are we going to do to survive here and like keep ourselves entertained? And so I kind of felt like I moved between different crews. I was friends with like the stoner kids, but I was also friends with, you know, the art kids kids. and theater kids and nerdy kids and, you know, all all types of folks. We had a lot of international kids. So there were like a lot of really interesting Asian kids at our school. Shout out to Solomon Lee. <laughs> Shout out to the Wayne Sue crew. But yeah. that was that was always like, I feel like we bonded in that we had this perspective. There was a bigger world. And you were there with me when I met Wesley Willis. And oh, yeah. We, you made three videos. We did th- no, four if you count the TiVo one. Yeah. We did all my, some of the, I think my favorite videos you directed. And that was like oh, pre- pretty tight. Ahab. Ahab, which is still like amazing that you pulled that off. Well, thank you. Yeah. And that was with Alessandro as well. Don't want to uh, leave him out of that equation. But yeah, no, that was fun. That was really like, you know, when you're young like that, you can say, hey, you guys want to bro this out and do it for free? You want to work on costumes for a month? You want to do this? And everyone's like, yeah, let's do this. And then a few years go by and everyone's like, no way, I got a job. <laughs> I, I'm not doing that anymore. So you get a limited window where you can uh, pull the whole community together for something and that that's what it was for and you surely did i mean how many people on that set 30 maybe but yeah but leading up to it was like so much work like carol miltimore made all those costumes in her apartment like hand sewn you know and then like the art department like phil like just basically like made all these backdrops and painted them and it was just like probably over a month of work with different people in different zones just like working like crazy it was basically like a like a whole production it was a play that was also a video that also had lots of post effects. But I guess the hardest part was the preparation. I was on tour, I remember, when you guys were doing yeah. all that. And you know, Jody, who shot it, went on to just shoot Manchester by the Sea and a lot Are of. Are you serious? And he shot Girls season one. He's a real acclaimed cinematographer. It's a real all star team pulled together there. And Janixa mm-hmm. has is on that new Lena Dunham show, right? As an actress. But she's, I mean, she's a lot more than that. She she's, directed a, sh- a show, an Atlanta episode, right? Yeah, but she's she's like, those are all things that are impressive, but she's a more of a writer-director in her own right. And she made her first feature that was at Sundance called Lemon, and her second feature is she's working on now. So I feel like that's like the real Janixa. And then the other stuff is like, you know, cool too. <laughs> I mean, I've always, yeah, I've always, Sean, been impressed by your the people in your circle. And the dudes who did Paranormal... Activity and Catfish. Did yeah. they work on Ahab? A little? I think Ariel did a little bit. Who's, yeah. Who directed Catfish? Uh, yeah. yeah, he was. A, a, he did a lot of art department stuff back in the day. But yeah, it's cool to see where everybody goes off to, and it seems cool. Everyone's doing well. But but uh, <laughs> enough about them. What, what about you, Andrew? <laughs> I remember Sean. This is one of my favorite. I never forget this. Like you always did. We did a few comics for the paper at school. I mean, we did the collaborative one of those fools sitting on the couch, Super Bowl mm-hmm. one, and. Mm-hmm. You did this comic that I still go, think is one of the greatest comics I ever saw. We went to England to do the Oklahoma tour, and you just happened to book a trip to Europe <laughs> with, with the tour to hang out and stuff. And you did this comic where there's this dude sitting with a CD player listening to a band, and the stewardess goes, okay, put your CDs away, put your electronics away, and he hides it, and then he puts his earphones on, and he goes, damn, I'm smooth, and then the airplane's on fire crashing. And I always think of that comic when they tell me to put like my computer away, I'm like, 
That's Sean Donnelly. He's still making me laugh. Do you remember that comic? It's funny. I mean, I barely remember that comic, but I'm amazed that you remember that comic. That's awesome. <laughs> you would, we would always have our journals and we'd sh- share each other our little drawings. And I, yeah. I was tight, man. You know, I used to keep a book of like comics like that, like one little panel or two little panels, and they were always drawn shitty and like, sla- like sloppy. So I kind of just kept them for myself. And then when I later went to film school... Sometimes I would be like, eh, maybe I'll make a short film out of this one. Or like, so I feel like a lot of things started off as like comics. It's like a good way to just put down an initial thought or something, you know? No filter. No filter. Just just throw it down. <laughs> and then um, we went we went to different colleges. You, after we graduated, I remember after you did Ahab, you did a video for Bo Burnham. His yeah. first video, right? I think it was his first video on the, like with a label where he had like a budget. I think he had done other videos before. Yeah. My, my friend Duncan had actually made a different video for him before. And then he was asked to do this video, but he wanted it to be animated and stuff. So he asked me to co-direct it with him. And so we worked on it together. Do you like doing like practical effects more or like digital animation and stuff? Uh, I feel like when I was a, a young, you know, a guy I was like screw digital stuff that's lame you know like that's it's all about like doing stuff by your hands and like having stuff that feels real and like giving stuff a unique look and then you know the more and more I learned like what a computer could do and how a lot of what a computer does is puts together a lot of different real things in a way that like makes saves you a lot of time and like actually makes it look better you know so like I've come to realize like the thing you do is just think about how you want it to look first and then you think about like how to get there and then if you can think of like some shortcuts to get there that use a computer, but don't sacrifice the end product, then that's pretty cool. You know, wasn't Michelle Gondry always like an influence on you? Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's amazing. He, you, you, you turn me on to him and like his movies and his, his, his style is surprising you, but I, I imagine he uses the digital post effects a lot for a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, have you, do you follow him on Instagram? No, I, I will though. You should. Cause yeah. he makes like a lot of super DIY stuff these days. I kind of made up a story of him in my head. I don't know what he would say, but I feel like he was making all these big movies and then they were kind of getting a little bit worse and worse. Like he made that superhero movie, whatever. I didn't even see it, but I didn't know that. And then he, the last movie he saw made was not that good. And I think he just got sick of these like kind of huge productions and all the notes and like timelines and everything. So he just like went super simple and just started making all these like marker videos. And they're all like little stories from his life. And they're just like super DIY, like cut and paste paper and, and they probably don't use a computer at all. And they're just yeah. like a camera overhead, like taking photos and him drawing. And they're cool. They're like, they're not all great, but I like that it's like this guy who sort of can do anything and knows the technical like abilities to do whatever he wants. And he's just going with paper and markers, making like things that look like a kindergartner would make them. I think simplicity and like having control over every element of what you're doing has always been an asset. And I think in my music career, it's always been like, I've known you when I've had like, label people helping and everything. And then when you can rein it in and make it like more simple and, and personal, that's where often the most powerful stuff happens. I don't know. Would you yeah, agree? I do agree. And I kind of realized like, I realized this early on, like, cause like when you go, I, I went to LA and was trying to like pitch TV shows and work in that whole space. And like, I'm always surprised like how much people are willing to give chances to like really young kids. Like, like when we were first there and you hear stories about other kids they are like, yeah, they just got a deal writing a show. And you're like, a 23 year old kid, what does he know about how to write a show or something? Right. But then you realize that like, it's not that that 23 year old kid, me or anybody else is necessarily going to be like, boom, this is the best show you've ever seen. But it's more like they're, they're the ones who are going to come up with something different. They're the ones that are like, 
not, you know what I mean? Like if you get the guy who's worked on like 40 sitcoms and he's going to come up with a new show, the chances are it'll be more of the same and it will be like professional and like right. have the jokes at the right places and like an arc and everything will come together. But ultimately it'll just be like another TV show, you know? And so I think the reason people want you like young people and crazy people is like basically because they're like, we need a new idea. And then that's why they often try to pair you with like an old grizzled, like <laughs> Hollywood guy to kind of like right. make it work and like make it so that it's like functions or whatever. But that, so I feel like if you realize that, because I think a lot of young people's first thing is like, oh man, like Fox is telling me to write a TV show. I better like do the best TV show. So Fox picks it up. And then you try to like, like without even maybe realizing it, you try to make it kind of like other Fox TV shows, you know? But then you realize like the reason like the Simpsons and stuff was so cool is because it was so different and it was sort of like there had nothing been like that before. And that's what everybody like ultimately wants is that brand new thing. So like the only reason anyone's giving you a shot is to go crazy and do something I think like mostly your own. And so I think it's good to realize that and like feel empowered and being like maybe I'm not the best like guy to make a show ever, but I'm the most me and I'm just going to make this the most like the version I want to make and they don't make it that's okay <laughs> well and that's like you've always had that spirit like i remember you were doing that cable local cable access show you were editing in high school like you're always what what devices do i have and how can i connect the dots and like and make something original that's distinctly me and i and what i love about jeff and some aliens is how the art and everything it's just it's just like very I don't know. It's very unique and it's really incredible. It's an incredible show, man. Oh, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Such a positive guy. <laughs> and uh, can we talk about can we talk about this show for a minute? Sure. So you were doing stuff with the Trip Tank shorts, right? Yeah. So basically, Trip Tank was a show on Comedy Central that was a whole bunch of shorts, and they were like, "We want to be like the Liquid Television of Comedy Central in this era." And like, yeah. and Liquid Television, for those of you who don't remember, was like this weird show on MTV, and it wasn't even all funny. It was just psychedelic and weird, and some of it was funny. And that's what Beavis and Butthead came out of, and that's what Eon Flux came out of, and I think MTV's The Head came out of that. Yeah. So all these shows became full shows, but they all started as these like weird shorts on this weird show. And I remember being a kid watching liquid television and just being like, what is this? <laughs> this is insane. And it's like yeah. awesome. It would just like a lot of them would be like 30 second shorts of just like weird morphing and like stuff. And then another short would play. And it was like, it was cool. Yeah. And so I think Trip Tank was like, let's do that. But in a way, you know, the, the, the thing was that they it was Comedy Central and they wanted it to be funny all the time. So like they didn't really have that experimental quality that liquid television had and they didn't have as much like super short stuff and like just weird stuff they had a little bit of that but it was mostly like comedy shorts you know yeah but we made like 18 shorts i think for trip tank season one and two and was it basement gary was like a lead into that no basement gary was a different thing we had developed with fox that they passed on and then so okay i remember in your show you have the, the throwback to video lou yeah which was uh -huh. an adjunct to basement gary no, Video Lou was basically just, Alessandro and I do all this stuff together, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we were like, how should we credit it? And it's like, if it's by Sean and Alessandro, like, first of all, no one's going to remember that it's kind of like clunky. And second of all, it's like less interesting. So we were like, what if we were Video Lou? And like, I kind of do, you know, most of the drawings and then he does most of the voices. So like, it felt uh -huh. like appropriate that I would draw a guy and he would voice the guy and it would sort of like symbolize our collaboration. You know what I mean? 
So Video Lou is the, is that guy, and so he basically right. We, the idea, the big idea was that Video Lou would become like a YouTuber, and he'd be like an animated YouTuber, okay. and he would like have podcasts like this, and like he would just be like, "What's up, guys? Like, let's talk about this." And like, since it's yeah. just him talking, it would be like easy to animate, and we could like make shorts all the time, you like know? Strong Bad. I don't even know who that is. That was but. like um, Homestar Runner. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, Like the guy with the wrestler mask who would respond to emails. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So basically yeah. we wanted a way to respond. and we, But we only made like two videos for YouTube. And we were like, this takes a lot of time. And like we have other stuff to do. And then you so. had the episode where they rent videos from the Video Lose rental store. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Andrew. That's pretty tight. You're a, you're a close watcher. <laughs> so yeah. So so all the Trip Tank shorts say that they were by Video Lou. Okay. And then Trip Tank, or Jeff and Smalians was technically like produced by Video Lou. So that's why we have that thing at the end, which is like our production title. That's so tight. Yeah. So in theory, whatever else we would make would be by Video Lou, right? Right, right. But, that's but Video Lou has been on the long YouTube hiatus and hasn't been making too much stuff. But that's it, tight. Yeah. Uh, um. Alessandro's, I didn't realize he is such a good voice actor. Oh, yeah, he's really good. He, how many characters does he do? Like He does a ton. I mean, that's actually like, you realize it's not a coincidence that like, you know, Trey Parker and Matt Stone do a lot of voices because it gives you so much more control because a lot of times we'll write a scene, maybe we think or it's- Seth MacFarlane. Yep, yeah. Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people because it, it, you have a lot more control. Like, let's say you write a scene and you think it's funny. Then you record it with the actors and then you edit it and you go, oh, man, this isn't funny at all. That oh. happens all the time. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, man, we just paid all these people to act it. We can't like bring them back in in L.A. to the booth. And so a lot of times we would like rewrite a new scene and then Alessandro and I would just revoice it. You know what I mean? And then it would be like funnier, not because we were funnier than them, just because we fixed the writing. You know what I mean? Expediency. But, yeah. But we had a, like a microphone in the booth and we could kind of, and like where we edited and stuff. So we could just kind of like fix things. And yeah. like it, it was just really handy. So. I think it was a great asset that he did a lot of the voices. And so like, especially he did all three aliens, you know? And so like, really? Yeah. So whenever there was like uh, an issue with anything, we'd be like, all right, well, he does all three aliens. So we could easily fix all that (laughs) and change all that. And then, you know, I don't think he really did any other main characters, but he did like basically like every small character in every episode besides that, that you can think of, you know? And you had Cheech Martin as the Mexican president. That was <laughs> That's tight. true. That was pretty good. We had a lot of cool guests. We had uh, Malcolm McDowell from A Clockwork Orange. That's tight. Christian Slater, <laughs> Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> you had all these. That's but the, but what I like is you didn't use that to to sell the show, right? It was just it was just their part of the cast, and it was kind of dope. Or or do you feel like? Comedy Central. I don't know if we did anything to sell the show, personally. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that was the issue. We made the show and then no one sold it and uh, then it was over. But, oh well, maybe we're selling it now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I... Uh, can I just give you a litany of the things I love about it? Sure, thank you. I love I love how all the characters have strange nipples unnecessarily. <laughs> Even when he gets fit and like becomes like this the yuppie guy, he's got nipples. And and the and the girlfriend of the disinterested alien who has one, you know, and how Jeff has always has that stain, you know. It's like the little details that always remind me of your art is like pervasive through it. I love all the stuff on the back on the walls. I love how like. He has a calendar from 2012 and another from 2000. And I love the posters. What was it? There's the one with the um, the Death Man poster and then the guy playing guitar. Like those are so good. And it's, they're so Sean. Like I love Thanks, that. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, it's interesting you say so that. Because like in the same way that like I liked that Liquid Television just had some weird stuff in it. I felt like this show, like 
when you think comedy, everybody's always just thinking comedy. And so like, I feel like in Family Guy and you just notice a lot of like pun names and like yeah. Simpsons and all the stores, everything is there to be a joke. You know what I mean? And I felt like in, in Jeff or in the world, like sometimes it's cool just to have something that's like kind of cool looking or kind of like punk rock or something like weird. And like, so like Jeff just had like a melting face and he had like the guy playing guitar. The guy and with like, a million eyes. Yeah, the guy with a million eyes. Those yeah. were just like random doodles that we made. They were like, yeah, let's put that on his wall. But it wasn't like a, a joke per se. It was just like texture for like this is the kind of weird stuff that Jeff would be into. You know, the first the first scene that that tipped me off to that's where you're going is when he's at the yogurt place and it's like the cleanup instructions on the wall. And I paused my iPad and I'm reading I'm like, this is just literally how you clean up. This is not like it's like no jokes here. Yeah, no jokes. I'm like. That's awesome because you don't, that's rare. Even like BoJack Horseman, it's very heavy on the puns or the new Matt Groening. Right. So if you want to show with less jokes, <laughs> you've come to the right place. Now, you know, actually we should yeah. shout out Chase and Mathems, you know, was our lead background guy. He was? Yeah. So that bathroom, bathroom sign was probably him. I feel like he just got the vibe and he knew what we were going for. I didn't even weigh in or know about that. He just, just ended up there and it was like, great. You yeah. know? So, I. Well, he's he's an incredible artist. Too. Yeah. Well, that's cool too cuz well, Jason went to high school with us too yeah. and he's really an amazing painter, but he like had never really worked with like a Cintiq and Flash and like so a lot of people would be like we need someone that knows the software and we can't just use like a painter, you know? Right. But at the end of the day, like it's the same thing like we we're talking about like the young people that come in and have a new perspective. Like Jason is like so good with color and so good with like how to like just like flesh out a scene that he like thinks about it in such a different way than if you just learned the program and like know how that works and like you can learn the program in like two days and then yeah he was up to speed and uh just crushing it on a daily basis well and it's an asset that jeff's house is such a, a pigsty because you're able to like have so much detail of of and i feel like beavis and butter and the simpsons try that but they don't accomplish jeff is such a uh, messy sloppy dude <laughs> it's funny because you know i love that too and i find that like in a cartoon in general people are like let's make it very clean and like whenever even i like, would draw like a cartoon character and they'd be hairy everyone would always be like oh and like <laughs> there's just a weird thing where like a cartoon world is meant to be like perfect it's like plastic land you know what i mean yeah and like when you think of the simpsons everything's just like this perfect lamp and this perfect table and they never have anything like really out of place or right right feels like everything's like glued to the ground and like this perfect space. And so I think it's like exciting to like mess up the walls and like put details here and there. But it's funny because it's so, people are so accustomed to that I saw a lot of comments and people that were like, I can't even watch this show. It's so messy. It gives me anxiety. <laughs> like I can't do this. And there's just something weird about like yeah. a cartoon should be like super clean, perfect, like shapes, perfect, like solid color. And like, yeah. it shouldn't be like roughed up at all like we don't want any of that real world mess in our cartoons we want it to be like you know pristine right and the fact that you've got aliens then gave you this world they can go to and all the technology mm -hmm. it's like not quite typical science fiction like all their devices it's uh this very original you weren't trying to just do let's do what star wars did let's put this in jeff's world and so you have so many dimensions and it's like really dope well, thank yeah. you, Andrew. Yeah, I think it, it's everybody, you know, makes things for different reasons. And I think that's cool. Like, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. I just felt like for me personally, like there are a lot of people that go to film school because they like love movies. Uh -huh. and, then, and then they're like, I love, you know, Martin Scorsese. And then they make a movie and it's like their version of a Martin Scorsese movie. And I and that's cool. And a lot of great movies are made that way. You know, like, right. like Martin Scorsese is actually like one of those filmmakers who was like, I never hung out in the street. I watched six movies a day. And now I got really good at making movies from, yeah. that, from that. But then there's people like Michelle Gondry, 
but I feel like we're more like went to art school and we're really into like drawing and we're really into like photography and mixing everything. And I feel like obviously he watched movies and was influenced, but that wasn't like his number one love or path to movie making. I think it was more like his love for just like making things. And so yeah. I personally, I identify with that more and relate more to just like, I like to make things. I like to like draw. I like to whatever. I like to make edit a movie. It's all the same. You know what I mean? And I don't necessarily like to watch like, I watch like one movie every two weeks or something. And like everyone yeah. else that I know that works in film is watching like multiple movies a day. It seems like that's what gives you your own. That's what helps you preserve your identity. Well, or, I don't even, it's not like I'm like, I can't watch movies or I'll lose my identity. Yeah. The truth is I'm just often more drawn to like want to make something than I am to want to watch something, you know? Oh, that's awesome. I feel like you need to balance input yeah. and output. You do need input obviously. And it's inspiring to see cool stuff. But if you're just taking input all day, every day, and then you make something like once every four months, like, it's like maybe too much input with not enough output, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing about punk. The ethos is you create more and consume less. Right. And that's kind of like where successful artists have to find that balance. And I remember we used to have people over at your apartment right after when we were all living in New York after college and we just draw for like hours. Yeah. That, no, that, I like that. And that I, was awesome. So I feel like I feel like it's interesting because these days, like Jeff making a show like Jeff is yeah. like a lot of work. Sorry. I'm so rude. I'm getting a phone call. That's okay. You need to get it. It's my grandma. Oh, <laughs> do you want to put on speaker? That do you want to? She used yeah. to be on my radio show. Okay, let's have her. Grandma. Grandma. I'm so glad I got you. Did you get your RX email? <laughs> I got that junk email and archived it. <laughs> oh no no no! <laughs> I, I went to buy some of the pumpkin spice ones. Yeah. On uh, Amazon which is where I get my RX bars and stuff. Go on. And they were $69 a box because someone bought a whole bunch of them up. Just and, supply and demand economics? Well, and it's a seasonal. Right. But now that and, and, and so I thought, well, I guess I could, and so I went to a couple of stores around here to see what they were, and I only found them in one store, and they were $3 a piece. That's crazy. Exactly. So then I, this morning I wake up, I turn on my iPad, and there's a box. Buy two boxes for the price of one, and it's only $2 a bar, which means you get 24 bars for $26. Well, sounds sounds like your Christmas came early this year. So, Grandma, guess what? I'm in the middle of recording a podcast, and now you're on the podcast with my friend Andrew. Oh, really? Yeah, it's kind Hi, of... Hi, Sean's Hi, Grandma. Hello, podcast. <laughs> I've been with Sean Sean way back when he had a radio show in high school. I remember we used to battle rap Jesse on, on uh, you go, Sean, Sean, he's an artist. You rap about your, your, your grandson. Are you proud of him? Am I proud of him? No, I hardly, I hardly like him at all. <laughs> well, we're proud of him. But I do adore him. <laughs> all right. Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. RX bar is pumpkin seasonal, 50% off. <laughs> Right, not a paid, right. not a paid sponsorship, but uh, no, no, straight from Grandma's mouth. Yep. All right. Well, Grandma, we, I should probably hang up on you now, but it was good talking to you, and I uh, will talk to you soon. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, before Thanksgiving's over. Bye, bye, darling. All right. Bye. Your Sorry. Grandma's awesome. <laughs> yeah, she's good. she's always been in your life. <laughs> That's in right. All your art. Yeah, I just remember when Jesse was battle rapping her once, he like just basically would just be like, Grandma, you're old, you whatever. And he was just like dissing her. And then her then her, her verse came and she goes, Jesse, Jesse, that's not very nice. <laughs>
We, you and I, we had a radio station in our high school, and you really pushed the boundaries with Hamish Tyler. So much so that they took my show away from me. <laughs> you were like, you know, if he were looking back and see the success you've had, it's just very interesting that like you would always push people's buttons, but you would never go. Oh, you'd go to the edge of the cliff, but you'd never jump off it. Well, you know, so you know the story of when he kicked us off. It was I forget what happened. Jesse told a story about like how we saw some creepy guy at a concert who was trying to grind on all these girls. You know. It was before the Me Too movement. Jesse was ahead of his time. And he was just calling out this guy for being a creep, basically, and just like trying to grind all these girls on the dance floor, uh-huh, right? Right. And so then Hamish Tyler, I don't know if he heard it or someone else told him about it, but he basically took our show away for that, you know? And he was like, he was like, you know what the problem with your show is? He's like, smarmy. Yeah, it's too smarmy. And I was like, what's that, you know? I, I don't know. I was like a sophomore in high school. And he's yeah. like, when I think smarmy, I think 7 Eleven parking lot <laughs> i was like okay that's why we're getting our show taken away <laughs> then you interviewed the you interviewed some of the people who worked at the school about their life and their jobs and you wanted to have this like cinema verte how do you say that word uh, verte verte and you would interview the staff and the people who worked at the school and he's like you're making fun of them but it was not that you were trying to show like shine your camera and take the yeah I thought, that's what that's a crazy thing that always happens like i made yeah. when i made that documentary i think we're alone now I feel like I was like, wow, Jeff is like obsessed with Tiffany's. Like some would call him a stalker. I've never met a person like this. I'd love to know what, how he became like this and like what his story is, who his family is, what they think. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like went and filmed him and got to know him. And everybody's like, you're making fun of him. And so there's kind of like a thing with that's like people think it's okay to ignore people. But that if you like talk to them and like bring them into the light, it's like you're making fun of them. And like it's almost more like that's those people's problem of why they think if somebody's talking that you're making fun of them. You know what I mean? Well, you, and in that light, you were the one who introduced me to Wesley Willis. Yeah. So like, do you feel like when you listen to Wesley Willis, you're making fun of him or do you just like, this is a like awesome perspective and something that nobody else would have made. I love his originality and rest (laughs) in peace. And I love that I met him because of you, you know, and like (laughs) that he, 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 yeah. Like older, I don't know. I always felt like people had this judgment of if you have a certain take on, on things that that's necessarily good. And I, I just, I agree with you about Hamish. I always felt that was unfair. You know, recently I did some like workshops at the school he works at and like still the same guy and was sweet and, you know, but like I was always trying to be a little, I would try to play the game a little more. You know what I'm saying? You were very rebe- rebellious and I always was like inspired by your courage. <laughs> well, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> well, you know, that story of when I went, I went to England when you guys were there and then Jesse was like, hey, you can stay in my room. Like Hamish, we all have rooms that was booked for that tour. Yeah. So then Hamish was like, you can't stay in these rooms. You're not a part of the tour. And I was like, well, I know you like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even remember if that was pre or post him taking away our radio show. But I was like, no. And he's like, he kicked me out at like, 10 o'clock at night under the streets of London, basically. You'd, be, you'd graduated, right? You just finished. I, I think so. Yeah, I just graduated. Yeah. So he was like, you can't stay with us. Get out of here. So then I like went around and I tried to go to all these youth hostels and they were all booked. And then like I found one randomly. And so I stayed mm. at this like youth hostel and it was just me and these two lesbians in this room. <laughs> and they had two different bunks, but they slept together. And then uh-huh. they basically they kept me awake all night <laughs> and were smooching. And uh, it was anyway, that was all Hamish's fault. But <laughs> I... I think it's a little crazy that he would just kick me to the curb in a foreign city like that when yeah. everybody I knew was staying in one place. He's a real stickler for the <laughs> rules, that guy. Yeah, but that is, I guess that's the whole battle of 
the authority breeds that desire to 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 transcend it, right? The rules are made to be broken or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it's true. I think that like, I think that like in when I was at Stevenson a lot, I was just like, I don't like this place. Too many rules. Get me out of here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. But then in retrospect, you're like, I th- guess having all those rules and all those like annoying constraints is kind of what made you like thrive a little bit and be like, I'm gonna make this. I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna do it this way. And like, yeah, it feels like when you go into the real world and you can do whatever you want all day that you can go a little soft and just be like, yeah, I guess I'll do this today. You know what I mean? But like someone telling you you're not allowed to do anything sometimes lights a fire under you. And that's why we both found such, um, we found so much like a uh, feeling of home in the art room and on the radio station and you know what I mean? And yeah, in the concerts sure. and like seeing live music in Santa Cruz and all, and like, yeah, you always, I feel like you had created this haven for the kids who were local. Cause you lived kind of close, but you also lived on campus and, I don't know. That was tight. <laughs> well, thanks, Andrew. How did, um, I think we're alone now. Like for those of you who haven't seen it, Sean made this documentary about these fans of Tiffany who are very passionate and he follows them around. And it's like a incredible, funny, gripping, weird documentary. And like, that was a big project, right? Yeah. You know, it's cool how projects like that can come together. Cause I just started filming it. Like um, we met Jeff downtown and then we just started filming with him and we're like, this guy's interesting. Like, and then I'd go home for holidays and stuff and I'd be like, let me check in with Jeff. And Did you know about his history with Tiffany? We found that out like eventually, but we didn't know oh. that at, at the first few times we met him. How, what was the first, like, <laughs> you just saw him on? No, well, that's a long story, but basically yeah. we were making another dumb movie and my friend Jordy and I, yeah. right? Yeah, and Jordy, like, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we basically had this idea that Jordy was pretending to be a director. It was kind of like a mockumentary, you know? And so we wrote like a really bad screenplay and like a really bad monologue. And then, you know, Jordy was like wearing a vest and was like trying to be like Mr. Director. And he was like, the thing about casting is I love to go to the streets and get street real people because like an actor, no matter how trained, can never get that across. And then we just go find random people on the street and be like, excuse me, sir, would you like to read this (laughs) monologue and audition? And the monologue is like as I murdered all those people <laughs> and people are like, what the hell is this? You know? And then we'd be like, sir, could you not break character and just like read it? And so like, we just basically were like filming all these people. And you so were th- trolling them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess that's what one person might call it. But, uh, we were making, uh, you know, you're making art. We we're making art. It's like, I guess it's like a Borat or Bruno type yeah. of thing before that existed. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so then we found Jeff and Jeff was like, so into it. And he uh-huh. was like, I remember seeing their eyes. <laughs> and he was like, when are you going to cast this movie? Like, are you going to let me know? Like, can you call me? Like, wh- yeah. what's the deal? And we were like, man, this guy really wants to be in this movie. Maybe we should actually make this movie. Like <laughs> at first we were just more doing like the process, you know? Okay. And so we then were like, went to his house and like, I actually made this movie and uh, the key thrilling conclusion to that movie is that we pretended like our cameras broke and we were like, oh, no, Jeff, like for the final courtroom scene where you go sentenced for all these murders that you committed, we're going to have to like film it, but we're going to have to do it in Circuit City where they have the display cameras and we'll bring a mini DV tape. (laughs) We'll put it in and then we'll just film it in Circuit City like without people knowing, you know? And so then like we just basically were like pretending to look at cameras and put a mini DV tape in. And then he was like, your honor, I'm sorry. And we had Robert Manson was playing the other lawyer and Jordy was there. We had like we had, like four actors and like everybody was walking around like looking at the camera like, what is this? And we just had this very intense courtroom scene and Jeff had like tears rolling down his face. And it was, wow. like, and it was like people, you could just see the Circuit City employees like looking around. And uh, did you get kicked out? No, we filmed like a scene there for like an hour. Wow. Yeah. And did you release that movie? No, I mean, that was pretty much unreleasable. I think it ended up being like a 40 minute 
movie. It's more like, yeah. you know, I think it had some funny parts, but was mostly just what the hell is that? I later read, by the way, fun fact, that Kurt Cobain, a long time ago, had no money and wanted to make a music video and went into a Circuit City with a tape and filmed a music video in a store like that. That's pretty cool. So I, that was, I thought that was cool. I guess like, uh, <laughs> he, I think he did it for real and we faked it. Um, and uh, yeah, you're always a big music fan. Like, yeah, I like music. You're always ahead of you're always ahead of the curve with what was cool, right? And don't you? Would you agree? I I don't know who could agree to that. <laughs> I think you a like real, a real a hole, <laughs> uncle, and like MC Paul Barman and all this like stuff. They were always the first, and you'd play it on your show, and that was always like that was always tight to like hear whatever Sean was listening to. I wanted to make sure I knew. Well, thanks, Andrew. And well, I think Jeff and some aliens has some great music. Like that's one of my favorite things about it, the little parody mm-hmm. clips throughout. Who did who did you work with on the music? Well, so yeah, there's two people that should be especially shouted out. One is Alessandro. You know, he does music and he's made a lot of music for the sh- all the shorts we've made and all the various things. And you know, I think we kind of have our different things that we gravitate towards. Like I do more of the animation and he does more of the acting and the music. But it's yeah. cool. He plays keyboard and sings and kind of like you know, like the theme song we kind of wrote on this piano and it's just like a lot of different songs that he writes. But then uh, my roommate in college, Cyrus. Cyrus Shamir is an awesome musician and he's like in like a hard rocking band and makes like cool rock music, but he also, you know, is, can do everything, you know? Yeah. And so he was like the composer for the show. So sometimes Alessandro would start a song and write the keyboard part and like send a demo to Cyrus, but sometimes Cyrus would just come up with his own songs too, you yeah, know? Yeah. So it was a mix of everything, you know? So those two really did the most of the music together. Well, Cyrus did the majority of the music, but like the key songs and especially the ones with lyrics, like then like we would write them together and then Alessandro would kind of like figure out the melodies a lot and then figure out the, the notes and send it over to Cyrus like as a MIDI track and then Cyrus could like soup it up in his studio, you know? I like the one where they, he's just killed the old lady and it's respect life. That's my motto, the <laughs> rapper on the radio. Yeah. It's like, respect your elders too, yo, respect the mulatto. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put a, is there a soundtrack of it on like Spotify? You know, there should be, no. A lot of those songs, like you just named, are like five seconds long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. like, it would be cool to have a whole bunch of these, like, five to ten second songs. I think I put two of them on the Video Lou Bandcamp. Okay. Like, the t- the two most, you know, salacious <laughs> Like songs. the Jezebel one. Yeah, those are That is so messed up. And it's, <laughs> like, it's like, the show has this cutting satire that is very, very unique, and it's very much your sense of humor and, like, all the things like, like of course, like when he, the, the soul trading energy at the end, where he's like, "I never want to trade my soul energy again," and then it's all very grim. He's going to work. It's very satirical. Did you have so? Thanks for watching it so closely, Andrea. You know who sings the Jezebel songs is Melissa Villasenor, who's on SNL now. Wow, uh, and she's really good. And she does like a lot of impressions. Like she can do a perfect Britney Spears and like a perfect Christina Aguilera, and she's pretty impressive. So that's cool. Yeah, we were lucky that. She, she played uh, like Jeff's niece too. So she does, oh. she does like the voice too and she's funny, but then she also can really, she's got some pipes. <laughs> the humor is also very, I wonder how much of it is your humor, like all the drug stuff and the sexual stuff and like how much did you want it mm-hmm. to be that kind of show versus how much did you feel like it was the influence of the, to make him like a huge stoner? Well, I think, you know, you have to understand that like a production like this is a huge collaboration. You know what I mean? It's very different than making something like alone in your room. Like for one, for one, it's me and Alessandro are collaborating and sitting down, like writing all this stuff together. But then once we come up with the idea of the show and these ideas, we had a writer's room and we have a whole bunch of funny 
like LA writers who like work on different shows and they come up with a bunch of funny jokes and a bunch of ideas, you know? Yeah. And then we like take it and then usually we have to like rewrite them with more time. And then you get it to like the animators and the and like the editors and they, a lot of other people have ideas and then Comedy Central has notes and they have ideas. And so by the time it comes out at the end, you're like, some of these ideas were mine. Some of them were like, you know, a storyboarder. Some of them were yeah. the editor. Like there were just a lot of cool people around that all have good ideas. But at, sometimes, you know, it, it can be exhausting too to have like an army of like all, so many people and trying to get everybody on the same page and all these different ideas and streamline them and being under a deadline. And I think that yeah. like I can see why a guy like Michelle Gondry would then be like, I'm just going to make these like cut out paper things on Instagram because it's like you don't it's just there's just something about it's not even like. I don't think that I could have made a show like that by myself at all. And I wouldn't even want to, you know, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, it takes so much effort and so much work and so much conversation, you know, like everything is like, why are you doing this? Why about that? And then you talk to like all the writers, you talk to the storyboarders, you talk to Al Sundra, you talk to Comedy Central. And like at the end of the day, like sometimes you just want to like put some headphones on, listen to some music, draw something and like not even know why you're drawing it, not have to explain it to anyone <laughs> and just like make something weird and so yeah. I just made like a weird little short film. That was that, I don't know if you saw that. It was called Paul at the Glands. It was like a weird little guy. I need to see that. Yeah, it's on <laughs> Vimeo. But it was cool. They made it a Vimeo staff pick, which is cool. Because I was afraid. I was like, this is going to be too weird maybe. But I was like, I just want to make something weird where like I don't really like have to change this in any way. And uh, yeah, I, I worked with people on it, of course. Like Tyler did all the animation. And Cyrus, who did a lot of the music. And Jeff did the music for this. And it was cool. But it just felt like it was like this sort of unhinged project so i think it's important yeah. to balance like it's cool to do small stuff on your own where you can go as weird as you want but then it's cool to be able to work with so many people and make something so much bigger and better than anything you could also make on your own you know and probably having ideas that new directions you wouldn't have thought of that you think were good right? yeah of course yeah yeah it's, it's just that it becomes something different you know like at the end of the day it feels different than if I like made this like the small short all on my own where I'm like, this was like a short that came out of like that month and like somehow that's how I was feeling. So that's what I made. Like, I think that in a very simple way, that's like what I'm saying. I kind of miss the simplicity and purity sometimes of like when you have a job like that, you don't have that time to just be like, I'm making art for myself right now. What is it? You know what I mean? It it's, must have been on a crazy schedule. It was crazy. It was really hard. What was, was like, how, what was the total length of time from? Comedy Central's buying this to de delivering the final episode. Well, so I think, I don't know how to answer that exactly, but let's yeah. just say that by the time they picked it up, right? Like we had a little bit of time. We knew it was coming. So Alcindor and I, like we went to like Big Bear Lake on a little writer's retreat and tried to think of some ideas for episodes that we could like take into the writer's room, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then I went, I go hiking every year with a bunch of people and we were hiking in Montana that year and I was kind of thinking of ideas while I was hiking and Alcindor was thinking of ideas. And then eventually we come to the writer's room. So we had some ideas we had talked about and worked on slowly, but then it was like game time, like every day we're writing all day, every day, you know? And so we did that and then for a couple months and then the writer's room breaks, but you have a bunch of scripts in various forms at the end of that. They're not all totally done and ready to go. Yeah. And so then you go up to, we went up to Portland to do the animation. Okay. And so then the storyboarding starts and people are like actually editing the audio. Meanwhile, we're still have like five scripts to write. You know what I mean? So like, it was just like a lot to do at once. And so, and like Alcindor and I also are very involved in the process in a way that I don't think like a lot of people that do animated shows are like we would help oversee like all the editing and then obviously mm. like the animation and the designs would like a big, big part of and then you know also does a lot of music and then we'd also like be doing all like looking over all the storyboarding and kind of re adjust all that kind of stuff so 
it was just too much to do really. And it like, we were up there for doing that basically for over a year. And then, Ooh. and then they picked up 10 episodes for a second season. So we started writing those while we were still finishing the episodes. Oh, wow. And so they're just many nights where you're there to like one or two in the morning and then come back the next morning and just keep doing it every day, you know? Yeah. So the point is like, it's cool to, at, the, at the end to be like, we made a show and it was on Comedy Central and there were 10 full episodes. But at the same time, like making that is not always the same thing as like, hey, I'm an artist in my room. I just want to make some art. And you're just like two in the morning. You're like, how does this thing end? You know what I mean? Yeah, so very, like, complete, almost completely different. Yeah, completely different. Yeah. So I think that for me, I just felt like that was cool. Like that was always like a dream of mine was to like make a show and we made it and it was really cool. And I, yeah. I would like to maybe try it again one day. But for right now, I'm also realizing like, you just appreciate how fun it is to just draw in a sketchbook or like just do things for your own and like have the time to do them. And like, I think it's, it's interesting. It's sort of like, what, what is the point of doing this stuff? And sometimes yeah. it's easy to fall into like the goals of like, I want a show or I want this, you know what I mean? But sometimes when you fall into those goals, you kind of lose that sort of like therapeutic part of that art served for you, like your whole life, which is like sort of just an outlet where you could make whatever you want. And like, nobody you don't have to show it to anyone if you don't want to and right. it can just be a personal kind of thing that like helps you feel better and like you know what i mean and like it's like breathing it, you need to do it yeah i kind of feel like that so i felt like when you were making when you, when somebody's asking you to do it for a job and you have to do so much of it you don't have that much room to breathe for yourself and so yeah and and plus i'm sure that you really wanted to do a good job of course yeah because you they they're a big company and you're it's a big business 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 agreement that like they trust your vision so you really had to deliver which you did well thanks andrew <laughs> yeah of course so yeah it was it was all cool i have no regrets it's just sort of um fun to try to jump around and try some different kinds of things now too you know you know what my favorite episode is <laughs> i would love to know the laughter disc really well, he does the That's puns he does the puns i remember you, you had that short idea where you're like where the guy who's a real estate agent shows up to work he goes what's up holmes Remember, um, I, I did that that was your idea that for sounds us. like an mc lars idea <laughs> no, you were talking about how you were gonna do like short puns short video puns like in 2006 really and i yeah you don't remember that because that always made me laugh what's really? that Holmes? yeah have you said joe <laughs> and so it's i like the uh my favorite one is it's how he sets it up i'm gonna pay my rent in tenors and then the dudes are in the bushes <laughs> it tickled me you that, like you like a good pun yeah puns to me it's the best humor but it was it was very well executed executed and like it just very much very so much sean up in there and we could talk forever about all the little things well, thanks, I like. Andrew. That, you know, that episode, one of the, like the initial directions I wanted it to go was that it was sort of supposed to be like a metaphor for like a Comedy Central, which is like, if you don't make this funny, you're going to die, basically. It was so satirical. Right. So it was like, you have to be funny or die, right? And so then Jeff was like, oh, God. Uh, and then like sort of the idea was maybe going to be like, you can't really be funny with that much pressure put on you kind of like the themes we're talking about you know yeah, that's why but I this idea like up, when yeah. you have a gun to your head and you're like make me laugh come up with some hilarious puns go like it's like save your father yeah and like this idea of this council being like hmm that's not quite funny make it funnier and so like yeah so that was sort of meant to be more the idea but then it was kind of hard to figure out how to structure a whole episode around like just that idea you know yeah and so that's where like the father came into it and all this like alien stuff and so yeah, it's like I hope that that satirical part didn't get lost along the way. But no, I mean, like, I was like, I know exactly what Sean's doing. He's making fun of. It's like being on the radio, making fun of Hamish Tyler's on this. You're making fun of this whole the network that gave you the show, and but you're getting some good jokes in there. And 
I got a question for you. Yeah, does he live, you, sir, right there. Does, does he live in California? Because his license place is California. Yeah, you know, originally we were like, he's in Fresno, California, you know? And we were yeah. like, that seems like a place Jeff would live. Sure. But then we were like, I haven't spent that much time in Fresno. It feels a little weird and like exploitative to be Fresno. And so like we had all the schools say like Fresno, like junior high school, uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And then at, at a certain point we were like, well, that's dumb. Let's get rid of it. And we just made up a name. And I think I think it was Teddy's idea. It was one of our superstar animators and directors too. And he said, uh, like, what of his midline, I think, which is like kind of feels like a very average. Midline kind of, California. Yeah, midline California. But then the so scene. Doesn't, no real place, but yeah. The wedding scene though, that background very much looked like Big Sur. Yeah. I think that, that was, was very, that modeled on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, Andrew, you are a very <laughs> astute viewer. I'm impressed. <laughs> well, if I had the chance to talk to you, I had to ask you all these questions. <laughs> and um, that was like, because the scene where the worst place you could ever be from is South Jersey or whatever. <laughs> like I was thinking as a California who lived on the East Coast, like how that's such that I, I feel you. I'm always taking digs at Jersey. No disrespect to people from Jersey, but... um. I don't want to live there. No disrespect, though. I bet we've offended some people. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like Jersey gets a bad rap. There are some nice parts of New Jersey, right? Yeah, and um, that's and also there's some nice coastlines in New Jersey, right? And also, okay, there's a wonderful show called The Jersey Shore. Yeah, and also Philadelphia is near New Jersey. Yep, great, solid place. (laughs) Can I ask you another technical question? Yeah. When you had the parody of Welcome to Jeff's Birthday with Guns N' Roses when you redid his memories, how did that work with the publishing? Did you have to clear that with Guns N' Roses? You know what? That was like one of those things that we were like, are we allowed to do this? And everyone's like, we'll get an answer to you shortly. And then, of course, there's no answer. And then we're like, hey, guys, are we allowed to do this? And they're like, we got to figure it out. And they're like, you know, Guns N' Roses is notoriously litigious. Like, they're going to they're gonna come after you guys hard if you do this. And then at a certain point, I don't actually remember, but somebody was like, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's parody law or whatever. So, yeah. so we'd know. We didn't go out do it right like it was fine to do it just that way and yeah there you go That's welcome sick. to jeff's birthday i'm impressed with your your uh, knowledge dude, of these notes, jeff episodes dude. i have <laughs> notes and there's so much of stuff that we're not going to touch on but um i just wanted to make sure i had I'm oh, impressed. oh one thing i love the the goths that show up at the food court that like marilyn manson guy and like his little friend they're everywhere <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the sad goths who are just like aimlessly wandering around. What the heck is the story with that? That's awesome. Well, I mean, I like the goths. I think we were like, they feel like they, those are the kinds of people cruising around a mall, you in know? Midland, California. Yeah, Midland, so you're like, there should definitely be goths. But yeah. a side story is like, we were so sort of like didn't have the staff and the budget that we needed to like do everything we needed. So we had like a cast of probably like 30 background extras <laughs> that are just in everything, recast all the time. And it's always like the same six people like behind like, Jeff's on TV and they're in the background of the camera. Or like the, the old mall. man with the hot young girlfriend. That's uh, a yeah. constant theme throughout. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, there you go. Do you know what I'm saying? Like those characters are, were, you. that was probably more, that wasn't a background character though. I'm, no. I'm changing the subject. Sorry. Right, right. But, but the background characters are very heavy. If who you were, else do you have in there? In the I mean, if you were like a real background extra, you would dream of being in a show like Jeff <laughs> where you get to be in every single scene <laughs> all the time. So but, that was just a function of, of just to save time. Yeah, because I guess like to make like, you know, 20 new background people for every scene would have been like a crazy amount of work. So sometimes it's like, let's change their hair color or like you do like, but it just looks like that guy just got his hair dyed or whatever. (laughs) It's the same guy. Right. So, yeah, if you look through, you'll see like the same people in every scene. Do you ever want to like make toys and stuff of these characters one day? Sure. I would love that. But nobody asked, you know? Yeah. (laughs) How did you, how, where did it, 
where did it split that maybe they wouldn't pick it up again? Was that like a weird? Uh, I think that sometimes those things just become like corporate decisions that are sort of out of your control and you can't really even begin to guess about. I think sometimes, yeah. I think it's important not to go too crazy being like, ah, it's because of this. Or like, oh, it's because of this. Or oh, did, did we do it too soon? And like, sometimes you just have to be like, that's the way it happened and let's move on, you know? But yeah. I think, I do think my understanding of it, and granted it could be wrong, right? Is that like, Viacom as a whole is kind of struggling right now and like all their channels are losing viewers and you know it's a new era of TV which is like all these like online platforms and like cable doesn't quite know like how long they're going to survive and I think their ad revenue is dropping so they basically like in a panic mode like fired a whole bunch of head people at Comedy Central got a whole bunch of new people and they like kind of changed their whole strategy and everything like right at the moment when they were about to decide if they're going to pick it up or not you know. And so mm-hmm. then I, and I think that they got rid of like nine shows at the same time. Oh, and I think they were just kind of cleaning house and being like, none of this is working. Let's try something new, you know? So I think it was, we were just sort of, uh, it was kind of bad timing because they had ordered 10 scripts, which is a lot of scripts to order. For season two. For season two. And we, wow. and we were in the middle of writing them, but we had written a lot of them. And yeah. so we were like getting very close to getting ready to start production. So like in theory, if they were like not so happy with the show, they would have maybe ordered three episodes to see if it got better or something. But it felt like a confident thing that then changed to being not confident. <laughs> well, so, it's like a label having a new A&R person. Yeah. It's not because because the fan response was so good. Would you agree? People love that show. Uh, my, my, I mean, I, it's hard to get a sense of any of these things. My feeling is that not that many people saw it and that the people that did see it felt like, a, hey, this is our show that nobody knows about. <laughs> and right. like, they kind of embraced it and liked it, which is cool, you know? But they, I remember seeing the posters like in the subway and like yeah. they definitely pushed it. Yeah, no, they did like <clears throat> that initial launch, you know? Yeah. Ran out of water. Do you want some more? <laughs> ah, no, it's okay. Um, I don't want to ruin our flow. And what was I going to say? Um, The... uh. I saw this meme where it's, you know, the jealous girlfriend meme. I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, oh yeah. He's with Rick and Morty and he's like, the guy's looking all jealous at Jeff and some aliens. That's great. Yeah. That sums it up, man. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Can I ask you some questions? Yeah. You're, sure. Are you serious? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd like to turn it around. Okay. Play podcaster for a second. All right. Well, a thing that I think is really interesting that I think about a lot in a, in a way is like as an artist, right? Like how do you control yourself versus if you just want to make something that's really weird that nobody wants to w- listen to or watch? And how do you like do things like you, if you're like, this is a smart business move and like, this will probably like my fans will like this or like, yeah. this is a regular kind of like output and people like that. And like how much when you're making something, are you thinking about like sort of the logistics of how to do it right and like make a career out of it? And how much are you just like a free for all madman in the creative space doing whatever the hell you want? And I feel like, I, yeah. cause I think that you, the reason I ask you that question is I think that question all the time, but I think you are an example of somebody that balances that really well, where it feels like you're both. Like, it feels like you have this podcast, you're always touring, you like have like your Patreon where you release stuff regularly. Like you've got that pretty much dialed in, but at the same time, it feels like you're not censoring yourself and you're doing whatever the hell you want. So somehow you've struck a balance between art and commerce or something. So I'm just curious to hear your take on that. Thanks, Sean. I feel the same about you. Um, (laughs) I, you know, you knew me at a very interesting time because when you did Ahab, I was with like a very powerful management company label. And I think a lot of it was like putting out stuff that they dictated as what would be marketable, right? Because back then in like 05, there was like a huge barrier to iTunes. You had to submit things. It was expensive to make an album. So like, I feel like that was where I kind of had my jump off point. And after like 2000, after we did the Guitar Hero video, I was very much, I did a record that was very purposefully 
spiritual and very serious and like about life and death and KRS one was on and like all these rap guests I loved and my fans, most of my fans, when it came out, were like, yo, what is this? Like, this is a shout out to anyone who kickstarted that record and still like buys it. What's it called? It's called Lars attacks. And that, and it was like, um, I wanted to make a very serious rap album because I was like sick of the whole balance of being funny without being a joke. Right. I'm, I'm sorry. I wanted to be funny, but not be a joke. And I felt like, oh, MC Lars, he does the funny parody stuff, which thanks to you, like stuff like the guitar hero and other and and Ahab, like the visual element was great. And I think I kind of took a I took time away. And I don't know, I think doing like Patreon has been a really great answer to that because I can experiment with things. Sometimes I'll do a song that's crazy and wild. Sometimes that, that people like. Sometimes I'll do something I think they're going to love and they don't. But the stakes aren't as high with releasing it. It's very low overhead. Like I record it here in my closet. And then the stuff that gets a good reaction, I'll put on a compilation or something. So I'm always trying to like test everything. And I'm very fortunate the fans have like been able to financially help me sustain by being like, whatever you do, we'll, we'll take a chance on it. Like with Patreon or coming to see the shows. And also working with like, you came to that show in Long Beach with the Nerdcore guys. Mm-hmm. Having these friends who... Our brands are similar, makes it so it's a safe space to experiment in. So it's been a lot of collaboration and just trying to stay prolific. But there's some days where I'm like, okay, I know if I do an Edgar Allan Poe, another Poe rap, people are going to love it. And I like Poe, but it does feel like pandering. Yeah. But but the Lit lit Hop thing is an interesting thing because I genuinely love doing that. But sometimes I'm not in the mood to to do like like songs about that stuff because that's it's been I'm doing that for like 15 years. Well, isn't that, I mean, my version of the MC Lars story, that was one of the first things you did for a class, right? You did like a Shakespeare rap. Yeah. So How'd you know that? Because I went to school with you. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first assignment. That was like the genesis of like, oh. And that's what kind of the TED Talk was on was like the fusion of that, those two things. Oh, we should tell them about the Carnegie Hall thing we did. Oh, yeah. Remember yeah. that? Too many things to even remember. Too much flavor. Sean cool. made a video that we premiered at Carnegie Hall and he was there at the, at the premiere. That was a good time. That was tight, right? Just another MC Lars accomplishment, watching Proud from the from the uh, <laughs> the cheap seats. And that was kind of an example of something that was I wanted to do that also like fit this certain project. And sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. And sometimes, yeah, I don't know. I just never, I don't think I could quit doing this no matter what. And but are there things, I guess I'm curious, like are there things that you would want to do that you just feel like your fans, like if you were like, I want to, you know write some sex poems or like whatever. I don't know what you want to do, but you're like, my fans are going to be like, what, what the hell is this? You know? And like, yeah. And like, cause you have like the MC Lars sort of universe and brand. And like you said, if people are like looking for a Poe rap and maybe aren't into even a serious rap, but do you ever have impulses to try to like blow it up and try something totally different? Um, I, I do. And I think doing the third record, the large tax record kind of <laughs> burned up some of those impulses in a way. I think I've always tried to find, broader themes I can tap into that, that reinforce what I'm doing. But, you know, I journal a lot and I write a lot and I write a lot of songs I don't release. Um, but yeah, like doing like a spoken word album with like jazz playing behind it, like that would be fun. And I think for the most part, the fans would be reasonably supportive, but I wouldn't expect that to like make any money or even break even. So like a passion project, I don't know, man. I think it's like, I do have impulses to that, but I I don't think I've ever made the jump into doing something completely different, but I guess I could. Well, I, yeah. I would say only if you want to. I would just, that's the question. Yeah. You shouldn't do it just to do it. <laughs> I think if you're like, I really want to do this, follow that uh, impulse, right? And that's what sounds like where you're at right now, like as you're working on, you're, the world is yours now. Oh, I, you know, in a way, 
what's interesting is I feel like my whole life has been like that, where like I'll build up a little bit of momentum in one area, and then I'm like, let me see what's going on in this other area, <laughs> and then like start over from scratch. And it feels like all the work you did is almost like for nothing. And then you build up something else, and then you're like, let's go check out something else. And it's fun to try all these different things, but like at the end of the day, you don't have one sort of like brand or like a su- successful sort of like niche. You know what I mean? Mm, I, don't you think your niche is like your sense of humor and your way you're technically able to have your own style? And now with this show, is like a great calling card to do basically anything you want? Uh, I mean, well, it remains to be seen. But I would say that like before that, like when I think of what I when I first got out of college, the first stuff I was doing was like more music videos and commercials and stuff that was a little bit yeah. more like weird and waiting like, for Superman. Well, even before that, I made like the a little Scion commercial with like these like box headed children. That was kind of weird. And then I made like uh, like music videos for other people. And they were more just like they weren't all comedy there. Some of them are just kind of trippy and kind of yeah. dark and a little weird, you know, and then I, I like doing that. But then it seemed like a change. And then I did the documentary and then I like went to some documentary film festivals and I felt like I was like building up a little bit of street cred. And I was like, if I made another documentary, I could like know a lot of people to send it to a lot yeah. more, more people. You know what I mean? But then I never did make another documentary. And then I went into the comedy world and we started at the bottom. We had to like meet all these channels and stuff. And so, yeah, and then we finally got our own show, which is great. But then, you know, everybody, no matter what you're doing, wants to put you in some kind of box. So like at the beginning, they were like, you do weird animation. And like nobody would think that I was a writer or like did comedy. They're just like, you do weird animation. And then I had like an agent represent me for commercials and music videos, but I don't think that they cared about the documentary or anything else. You know what I mean? And so it just feels like you have different people that represent you and almost don't care about all the other stuff that you're doing. And you almost have to like only tell people what you're doing in that space. So with that said, like obviously after having a show, that means if we wanted to go do another animated comedy show, we would be positioned well to do that because we're like, we've done that. But if you said, hey, I want to make a live action drama show, you probably would be starting off close to the bottom again. Like not maybe the very bottom, but people would be like, what have you done like that? And you'd have to be like, well, here's a sample. And like, you know what I mean? Like you would have to like prove yourself all over again, kind of, you know? Isn't then, that's why like having Alessandro as a, as a co-creator is a huge asset, right? Because you can kind of like, it, while you're thinking of other stuff, you can kind of both keep each other on track if it's a, if it's a marketable thing like the show that you both enjoy doing. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're trying to experiment with how to even expand that collaboration where like he can head up some projects that he's like wants to lead that he's more passionate about and I can like help like, you know, work on the story and like, you know, flesh it out, but that it ultimately could go more in the direction he wants to go in. Because that's the thing with a collaboration is like you like I'm sure there's things he wants to do that I'm not interested in and things I want to do that he's not interested in. So we sort of both help each other and limit each other into this space where we're like, this is the the, this is the collection of stuff that we both like. That's sort of like what you see when we work together. Like a Venn diagram. Yeah, Venn diagram. Exactly. And this is the stuff in the middle, which often is going to be the better stuff because like it's the funnier stuff and it makes both of us laugh. So like that's the stuff. But I think some stuff falls out of that that like on both sides that probably is just like, you know, you can't in your own mind, you relate more to certain types of things. And maybe some other people don't relate to those kinds of things. And you know what I mean? So like, sure. I think like, I'm trying to write like, just like a weird independent movie that I'd like to make on my own at some point. That's like just more personal and more like, it's like a little bit of a comedy, but not like, like about your life, not about my life, but like, you know, I think I saw, I read an interview with Miranda July once where she said that she tried to write 
a non-fictional thing about her life and that she was like very like hyper aware of like how she conveyed herself and it almost felt like not that truthful mm-hmm. and then she like threw that book in the garbage and wrote her other book which is called the first bad man have you read that no it's yeah. a good book you I'll should read check it. that out who's so, the author again miranda july cool she's a filmmaker too she made two movies um anyway so she uh you should watch both of those movies too by the way yeah, i'm gonna make sure I'm yeah gonna make sure she's great it out. but anyway so she said that when she wrote a fictional book it, that there were things that she was willing to expose in there that were way more personal than anything she would expose in like a non-fictional thing and that like even things she's never told her husband are in that book but but ah. she, but she doesn't she won't say what is real and what's uh-huh. not because it's a fictional character and so i think sometimes that's true with fiction like you can actually be very open and like you know what I mean? It's different than being like, I, Sean, feel this way. You feel like a little bit weird saying that. You know what I mean? And that's why Kerouac had so many pen names in his all his books that characters keep changing. But you know, it's confusing what is real, you right. know, like on the road and stuff. like. And that is people forever trying to decipher that mystery. Right. And in a way, like, why do you need to decipher it? Because it's like... Uh Everything is a mix of everything, right? Like any movie that says based on a true story, it's not like that's exactly how it happened. There's a lot of fake stuff thrown in there. And any movie that's purely fiction has probably a lot of real stuff in there. Is Jeff from Jeff and some aliens a reference to Jeff from I Think We're Alone Now? It's not. It's just a coincidence. Okay. It's funny. You know that uh, my uncle, who I never met, who was my grandma's son, featured on this podcast, my grandma, (laughs) um, his name was Jeff, too. So they were like, is that why you named him Jeff? And it was like, nah, it just sounded like a very average, normal name. Right. So that is the true answer, right? Why Mahoney? Is he Irish? I think it just sounded like another classic kind of name. I think we we're just like, he's, yeah. supposed, to, he's supposed to be uh, part Jewish, you know, because Richard Kind is his dad. Okay. He's Jewish. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't really make any sense that his name was Mahoney. Did but you, you can figure it out. Where was the idea for the dad to always call him Honey? Because that's so sweet. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, that's one of those things that we didn't even have that idea. Richard Kind who's the actor. Do you know who he is? Uh, no, no. He's great. He's in Curb Your Enthusiasm. He plays Larry David's like brother or cousin. You oh. know, that weird guy that's always like hanging around his house. And he's in A Serious Man. He's also like the weird brother <laughs> in A Serious Man. And uh, he's great. He's yeah. in a toy, a toy Story. He's one of the characters. Oh, okay. So he's he's like a character actor that's done a lot of stuff. And so he basically just started saying honey like that. <laughs> and we were like, that's not the line. But I kind of like loved it. And then, you know, started yeah. to like ask him to do it more in the future, I think, because just made sense it's it was very this, sweet this weirdness that he has this <laughs> unconditional love and support <laughs> i was just like i was wondering if that was something like your dad or alessandro's dad said to him like a reference to that art no. this i bring this up on the topic of art and the, the 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 fungible line between fiction and nonfiction. you know that's always what for me is always fun to play with and yeah creating characters based on the people i know you know yeah i think that like with the comedy and the characters like i'm just thinking this now but we often have the opposite dad character, which is like the kind of like strict dad who's like, you know, no son of mine's going to do this. What the hell is this? You know, and like screaming at him. Yeah. And so Jeff's dad was like the opposite. who was just like, honey, whatever you do was wonderful. I love you. I'll do your laundry for you. You know, and you like, never see dads like and, that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's tight. Sean. Yes. What's next for you? I love to like end end these well, interviews with that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, when you, you know how in this business, you kind of always have to have a lot of things going because things co- take so long. So like a lot of times when people, there's something almost that annoys me about that because like when someone's like, what are you working on? You're like, I'm working on two movies. I'm working on five shows. Sure. I'm working on like two albums. And you're like, all right, buddy, settle down. But the truth is you can be working on all those things and like do nothing on them for five days and they're still kind of waiting on someone's desk somewhere or like hoping that eventually they'll turn to something. So there's a lot of different things 
but uh, I would say that the most like present, like real things that like have uh, is a new show for Comedy Central that's mostly live action. It's called The The Amazing Annie, and it's like uh, it's about this girl who's kind of figuring out her life, and she's a painter, and she's kind of like a little bit struggling and not doing so well, but she kind of sees the world with like her animated thoughts, so she can kind of like, you know, like overthink a lot of situations in like a funny way but also like a way that sort of shows how anxious and difficult it is to be her that's awesome <laughs> you know so yeah i think that'll be a cool show so we actually have a call to get notes on that shortly i hope it's a positive call <laughs> yeah <laughs> in 15 minutes okay um and then we wrote a new animated show for fox that is uh about a family that runs a hotel the idea is sort of like like how New York is changing and becoming this new thing. And this hotel has been here like untouched for like over a hundred years for like five generations. And they, they, yeah. they don't have Wi-Fi, They don't have anything that's like modern. And they're just like, we don't need that, you know? And so they're very old timey and it's like, you know, it's a comedy of a lot of wacky kind of characters, but it's also, I think to me anyway, an idea of sort of like a way of exploring like who gets left behind and when things progress so fast and like when technology is changing and everything and everybody celebrates like how great it is. Are you looking at like the people that, just can't keep up and are like basically struggling. You know what I mean? So you're kind of doing research while you're back in New York. That's right. right? Write it all off of my taxes. Does it feel like <laughs> this neighborhood cha- has changed crazily since? Well, you know, what's funny about that is I've been here a few times. And yeah. The first few times I came back, I was like, man, it changed so much. I feel like I don't even know what it is. And now when yeah. I'm back, I'm like, it's basically the same. <laughs> it's like there yeah. are some co- new condos here and there. And there's like some new hip restaurants here and there. But like a lot of things are the same. A lot of the buildings look the same. And like, it's interesting. It sort of shows you how like a lot of times when you're reacting to things, how much of that has to do with actually just yourself and, mm. where, and where you're at. And you're just like, this is so different because there's like a new bagel place on that corner or something. But yeah. like ultimately, sometimes a little bit of time you get a bigger perspective. And like, I think I realized that like I had just left the city and like lived in L.A. and was like living a different life. So when I came back here, it felt like a long time ago and things had changed. And it was just like, what is this place? You know what I mean? Do you miss New York being a West Coast guy now? Uh, it's not even, I think that like, you know what I, the way I look at it, it's not even about New York, but when you live in any place for a long time, it's like time just starts to speed up or something. Yeah. It's like, you can't remember, was that last week or was seven years ago? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause Definitely. it's like, you've been in the same neighborhood forever. So there's almost something about like, if you moved every couple of years, you would probably like have way more memories at the end of your life. Like you'd be like, of course I remember living in Florida and like, I remember living there. But if you were in New York for 20 years, you'd be like, yeah, I don't know if I remember the 2010s. You know what I mean? That's a good point. And that's kind of how I feel about touring. I, I think of every year in relation to the album cycles and yeah. where I was and where I lived. And like, like you, I've lived in so many cities and yeah, it's, um, it makes it interesting, you know. It's kind of yeah. It's like a nice clean chapter break of like this is a new chapter, and like even if the place you're living in isn't as cool as before, at least it's different, and it will like push you to make different kinds of work, and it's like a part of your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not always like about just like you know having the maximum fun every day or something. It's just about trying new things, right? And having people in your life that inspire you and you appreciate yeah and because when i lived in this area it was really cool because like a lot of my good friends lived in this area and mm-hmm. it felt like it was like a real community and all those people are gone now you know what i mean sure, so, sure. so like obviously you're here some, yeah. new, some new cool folks move in but uh i think yeah i think it's cool to i don't think i would ever need to move back personally it would feel like it would be like a weird mental thing of like i'm back in a place i lived 10 years ago it'd be like a time warp or something i was gonna say it's like visiting a old college campus but you went to college out here so yeah it's literally like that <laughs> it's literally like that um, yeah and um the other thing is like 
it doesn't matter where you live as long as you have space for creating what you want, really. Yeah. And I think, and it's like, it's, I think like you want a good balance where you want to, you don't want to be like hold up in your room writing all day with like the door closed, never a living life. But you also don't want to be like going to parties every single day and like not having the time. It's like the same input output. You got to like reflect on your life and like have some alone time and some like good time. Right. You said something to me. I always remember is that you said like LA, you can get like one or two great meetings. New York, you can do like 10 meetings in a day because it's easier to get places, but they won't necessarily be as productive as in LA because those two meetings count. So you need to make sure that like you're ready for them and like you're driving an hour to Santa Monica. It's important. You know what I mean? Like it makes you be more focused, even if it's a different kind of vibe. Do you remember saying that? And do you agree? That's interesting. I, 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 I don't even know. That's the thing. It's like, who knows who I was then when I said that <laughs> my, my new take is like, I think too many people get caught up in like the business side of things. Like it's important, of course. Like if you make a script, you want to know how to sell it or if you want, yeah. if you want to sell a show. But like the truth is 90% of your effort should be in like how to write a good show, you know, or how to write a good movie. And like then a little bit of time should go into like talking about it. But it kind of like bums me out that so many people are like half working on a script and then go out to parties all the time and are like, I got to tell people about my script and I got to pitch it to people and like, yeah. and like I got to do this business side and networking and I got to like see if I can get an actor interested and it's just like, dude, chill out and just like write a script. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's sort of a way I think to, I guess it's kind of like procrastinating in a way because it's like hard to write a script and it's like, especially mm-hmm. when you're alone in your room. So it's easy to go out to a party and be like, yeah, I'm working on a script. You know, it's like, a, look at me, look at me. And everyone's like, oh, wow, you're working on three scripts. That's and incredible. And this guy's interested. In, and that's, they're like, you yeah. know, so yeah, yeah, exactly. I had a meeting, I had a general meeting yesterday with like Sony. Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. it just like sounds cool and you feel like, hey, I'm out here doing something. But then meanwhile, 10 years could go by and you could like never make a movie or something. And you, you know? can, and you never have to confront what finishing it is like right right it's always it's always yeah I, I, I feel you man yeah i've been thinking in my head here this this i think i have to me this podcast is about exploring people's creative processes and stuff so yeah I've, I've just been thinking a lot about like what is the role of like an artist and i just saw the alexander mcqueen documentary which is oh, i want to see that that was good yeah. like he he kind of is exemplary of that too which is like I think it's all at the end of the day, what it comes down to is like that voice inside of your head. That's like your own taste and your own guide. That's like, this is cool. And this is what you want to do. Like the more you can be in touch with that and listen to that and follow that. I think that's what makes an artist an artist, you know? Mm. And I think that like the opposite of that is like, what will people like? What will make money? What will make me cool? What will people be impressed with? You know what I mean? What will trend? But also like, it's funny because like in a way an artist shouldn't be cool at all. They should be like a weird person who wears like lame clothes. And that's cool. Alexander McQueen is like a fashion icon yeah. and he dressed like crap. Like he just wore like baggy jeans and like worker boots. And like at the end of his <laughs> yeah. shows, he would come out and just like wave and you'd be like, how does that guy dress like that at a fashion show? It's crazy. That's you know cool. what I mean? Yeah. He dresses worse than me. <laughs> but like there's something cool about it. He's like, I just don't care what people think. And like he's into this like art of fashion. That doesn't mean he wants to like dress like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like. I think it's important to like just define that, like, because I think so many people want to do art because they think it's cool, and I think that like really that's like a society problem, really, because if society was like you're lame for being an artist, then only people would do it who really wanted to. But instead, everybody's like, "You're an artist. That's amazing. You're such a deep soul." So everyone's yeah. like, "I'm an artist too." Yeah. Hey, I just took a ceramics class last week. I'm, right. I'm an artist, and so everybody wants to be an artist, and everyone wants to talk about how they're an artist, and everybody wants to like sit and work on their process, and like. 
I feel like that's all for the wrong reason. It's all for like trying to be cool. And it's your ego. It's trying to like be cool, identify as an artist, be like a interesting person. You know what I mean? Sure. And I just feel like the world doesn't need art like that. I don't need to watch art like that. Like an art that was made by someone. A- affected bohemian branded kind of. Yeah. That's someone who's just like, I put the all my favorite cool music in there as the background. And I like have everyone yeah. dress what I think is really cool. And like, I, you know what I mean? Like, and I do like a lot of my favorite cool filmmaker moves in here and like cool editing and stuff and like slow motion and like there's a cool movie and then people are like, Hey, that's really cool. Like it has a really cool vibe. But it's just like, a walking Instagram filter really. Yeah. But I feel like, I feel like like art to be like an artist is to be like, I don't care. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to make something. And people are like, I don't like that. And you're like, that's okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. and so like, anyway, I feel like if you can be in touch with that voice, which is hard to do, like inside your head, like what do I actually want to see? Like what's the movie I want to watch? And like, how do I just make that without thinking of like, who is possibly going to be interested in it. And like, if it's made, if people are going to be like, nice job, that's such a cool movie. Or if people are going to be like, that was weird. Why'd you make that movie? Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, but if you could like follow yourself through those like scary times, I think that's really important. And that's my theory for why a lot of artists who become really successful start making bad stuff is because everybody around them is like, you're amazing, bro. Like you're the best. Like everything you do is awesome. And they're sure. like, yeah. And then that drowns out that voice. And they're like, I don't need to listen to that voice anymore because I'm so good. And then you make a bunch of bad stuff, you know? Right, right. And, and and that's like a very telling example. And that's like a really cool way to put it. And that's something I don't see you ever doing, Sean. <laughs> Thanks, dude. I don't see you ever doing that. <laughs> you won't let social media ruin your life. How can people follow you on social media? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have like uh, the fewest followers. out of Dirty like, Sean. Uh, yep, Dirty Sean. D-U-R-T-Y. Sean, S-E-A-N. You've but been, you can be like my, my 10th follower on all my accounts. <laughs> Sean posts great art and he's got a call. <laughs> right now but um i always love your updates and this has been awesome thank you for all your time thank you so much for having me this is very fun andrew congrats on all your success thanks buddy proud of you buddy i'm proud of you sean (laughs) all right go get jeff and and some aliens from itunes because it's only 20 bucks for the first season totally worth it thanks a lot there we go peace bye guys edgar allen poyo poyo listen to me flow y'all flow y'all Yo, it's Edgar Allan Poe with the flow so poetic Melancholy wordsmith style so phonetic Got a raven on my shoulder, gothic thematics Demonic alcoholic, multi-syllabic It's a habit, take a look and I'm sure you'll find it The mechanics of rap are the mechanics of rhyme And when we analyze the rhythm of the units to the meter Long, short, short, long, doesn't matter, look at either And I am is two syllables, unstressed stress Which the words insane explain and delight all express A trokey on the other hand goes stressed, unstressed Words like coffee, crazy giant, so prepare to be impressed Words like tambourine, cavalier, and marion, and by that I mean two unstressed stress syllables in succession. That's our first lesson. Okay, any questions? Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. This is Lit Hop 101 with MC Edgar Allan Poe. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. If you don't know, now you know. Dimeter means two feet, trimeter three, tetrameter is four, so pentameter must be five pairs of syllables, Shakespearean sonnets. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Now you got it. Unstressed stress, five times flow iambic. Stressed, unstressed, watch me flip the dynamic like once upon a midnight dreary. That's the start of my couplet, clearly. Trochaic, octameter, rhythm might damage. The cadence is so quick, but I think your ear can manage. Mysterious sci-fi rhymes getting hotter. 
Drunk in the club, watch me holler at your daughter. Baltimore Ravens, that's my team. Original hipster, well it might seem. From the Bronx back to Boston, I'm rocking the stash. Got Emerson and Twain both talking mad trash. Flow like Poe, I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe, I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe, I'm going hard on that tetrameter. This is Lit Hop 101 with MC Edgar Allan Poe. Flow like Poe, I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe, I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe, I'm going hard on that tetrameter. If you don't know, now you know. I am the gas and bringing passion just like that. Cutting with the consonants, I kill it, I attack. Alliterating awesomely, amazing at the energy. Contaminator is popping with the literary entropy. I'm on these spondies, dactylic swagger. The similes I drop are sharper than daggers. My metaphors are arrows, call me Katniss Everdeen. Hunger Games with the quill, illest MC ever seen. Check the Emily Dickinson slam, Broncos I'm spitting some strange and creepy magnificence, 19th century citizen. Hella pressful, I'm getting some darker than Charles Dickinson. Gory stories I've written, them teenage corpses, I'm kissing them. Cause the ladies, I'm missing them, and I've influenced them and them with the Hobbercore flavor. So Call me Jonathan Livingston Got that onomatopoeia popping off in the classroom Bringing poetry to life with these literary rap tunes Flow like Poe I'm going hard on that tetrameter Flow like Poe I'm going hard on that tetrameter Flow like Poe I'm going hard on that tetrameter This is Lit Hop 101 with MC Edgar Allan Poe Flow like Poe I'm going hard on that tetrameter Flow like Poe I'm going hard on that tetrameter Flow like Poe I'm going hard on that tetrameter If you don't know, now you know When I'm on the mic, everybody's feeling it Hands up in the air Bridge, Wave them side to side. side you side, can touch the ceiling, kid, like you just don't care. Five, seven, five, bro. When I'm on the mic, everybody's feeling it. Hands up in the air. Bridge, Wave them side to side. side you side. can touch the ceiling, kid, like you just don't care. Five, seven, five, bro. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. This is Lit Hop 101 with MC Edgar Allan Poe. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe. I'm going hard on that tetrameter. Flow like Poe, I'm going hard on that tetrameter. If you don't know, now you know. Baltimore Ravens, that's my team. Baltimore Ravens, that's my team. Tight. Thank you, Sean. Very good interview. Very cool that your grandma called in the middle of it. Okay, next week I have an interview with Howard Scott Warshaw, who invented one of the most notoriously mismaligned games in the history of gaming. He made the E.T. game for Atari. He's a therapist now in the Bay Area. I went to his house and interviewed him for the podcast, and it was awesome. So be sure to check that out, patreon.com slash mclars to help support the podcast and the new music I'm doing. Hope to see you all on tour. NerdcoreTour.com. Going to be doing more videos and everything. So mclars.tv is the YouTube channel. Have a great week. Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Sean, for being on the episode. That was weird. The episode. No, the episode. I was like, the episode was like a wrestling ring. In the ring, we have this guy wrestling this guy and social media talking about the real story and all that. No, but anyway, see you next week. I'm 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 going off my rocker, so I'll just end now. Bye.